And so, having sent his Son to fulfill the work of the cross, to give us the very gospel to preach, he needed a man to preach it. Who would that man be? What would his qualifications be? Who would we choose and select for such a task? Well, the answer is obvious, and we know from the chapter we have read tonight that that choice of God's sovereign purpose was the outstanding character and figure, Paul the Apostle. Above all men, above all the other apostles combined, this one man was the choice vessel of the Lord to take the gospel to spread Christianity so that within decades it would be and permeate every corner of Roman civilization. And welcome again to Let the Bible Speak. This is Pastor Ian Golliher. We're on the air again to bring you the message of the gospel, and I trust that you will be encouraged and blessed, lifted up in your soul to live for the Lord today, that you may glorify Him. Remember, man's chief end is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. Our Bible reading is Matthew 5, 13 onward. Ye are the salt of the earth, but if the salt have lost his savor, wherewith shall it be salted? It is thenceforth good for nothing, but to be cast out, and to be trodden under foot of men. Ye are the light of the world. A city that is set on an hill cannot be hid. Neither do men light a candle, and put it under a bushel, but on a candlestick, and it giveth light unto all that are in the house. Let your light so shine before men, that they may see your good works, and glorify your Father which is in heaven. Think not that I am come to destroy the law, or the prophets. I am not come to destroy, but to fulfill. For verily I say unto you, Till heaven and earth pass, one jot or one tittle shall in no wise pass from the law, till all be fulfilled. Whosoever therefore shall break one of these least commandments, and shall teach men so, he shall be called the least in the kingdom of heaven. But whosoever shall do and teach them, the same shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I say unto you that except your righteousness shall exceed the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, ye shall in no case enter into the kingdom of heaven. In verse 13 you will read here of good-for-nothing Christians. Ye are the salt of the earth, but if the salt have lost his savor, wherewith shall it be salted? It is thenceforth good for nothing but to be cast out and to be trodden under foot of men. Salt is a most useless product when it is without its savor. And likewise, born-again Christians have no purpose in this world once they cease to be witnesses for the Lord. And that's why the next verse says, Ye are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. We are to be God-glorifying Christians. Neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel, but on a candlestick, and it giveth light unto all that are in the house. Let your light so shine before men, 
that they may see your good works. Here is the call to be a God-glorifying Christian. And I trust that that's exactly what you'll do today, that you will glorify God in every word, in every deed, in every thought, every motive, every decision. And then you'll notice in the latter part of our reading here in Matthew 5 that we are to be law-keeping Christians. He said in verse 17, Think not that I am come to destroy the law or the prophets. I am not come to destroy, but to fulfill. The Lord did not make the law of no effect or of no consequence to the New Testament believer. Rather, he went to great lengths to show that the law is a must for every Christian. That is, of course, the moral law. He insisted that the believer's standard of holiness be far superior to that of the Pharisees. The Pharisees were turning the law into a joke or a mockery. They sought ways to circumvent it and added their own man-made laws to it, making the word of God of none effect. Those man-made laws are of no importance to us, but nothing can erase or change the holy standard of God's personal law to us. I say personal because it comes from his own heart. It reveals his own nature and glory. It shows forth God's majesty as just and holy. While men may want to change and cultures have their own applications of the law, yet the standard is always the same. God is against idolatry. God is against swearing. He is against Sabbath-breaking. God is against adultery, murder, and lying. The Lord Jesus used the law as a mirror to bring people to confess their own sins. And as they observed him, they were convicted of their failure and ungodliness. They saw that they were unclean in his sight. And the Lord did not lessen the law, but made it sure and fast. You look at verse 18, For verily I say unto you, till heaven and earth pass, one jot or one tittle shall in no wise pass from the law till all be fulfilled. This drove people either away from Christ as they considered him too holy, or it brought them to recognize their need of his righteousness. Yes, the Lord Jesus fulfilled all righteousness for us. He satisfied the holy standard of God by his perfect life. And he gives to us as a gift the credit of his account of righteousness. Justification, as defined by our shorter catechism, is the act of God's free grace, whereby he pardoneth all our sins. That is, sins we know about because the Lord set the standard equal to the law of God. And God accepteth us as righteous in his sight, only for the righteousness of Christ imputed to us and received by faith alone. You need this righteousness of Christ to be put to your account in order to be saved. You cannot get to heaven without his holiness. You will then bless God that Christ kept the law and satisfied every part of God's demands upon you for sin. That is the only way 
that your righteousness can exceed the righteousness of the Pharisees. Because while we are polluted and all that we do is tainted with sin, Christ was perfect and he kept the law for you. Let this be a message of salt and of light to your soul today. Shall we pray that the Lord would give us grace to trust the Lord for his righteousness? Lord Jesus, we thank thee that you came into the world not to lower the standard or to bring men to heaven by taking them under the wire by some illegal matter, but rather, Lord, you met the law head on. You upheld its holy standard, and you lived that life of perfect obedience, living in the place of others, that you might give to others a gift of eternal life. We thank thee that all our failure and all our shortcomings are met and fully satisfied in the perfect life of the Lord Jesus. I thank thee, Lord, you not only came to die for us, but you lived for us. And all your good works, all your good marks are put to the believer's account. Will you bless your people today with that blessed assurance that their sins are pardoned and that they are accepted as righteous in God's sight only for the righteousness of Christ imputed to them, received by faith alone? O Lord, increase our faith and strengthen us that we may serve thee today. Now let thy blessing be upon thy people. We plead and pray this in Jesus' name. And welcome to Let the Bible Speak. Thank you for joining with us. I hope you've been blessed already through this devotional. And I hope that you're encouraged by our daily broadcasts from the pulpit of our Free Presbyterian Church here in Cloverdale. If I can be of any personal help, we'll be glad to talk with you or hear from you. Give us a call, give us a phone call, an email, just to let us know that you're listening in. And if we can be of any further help, feel free to give us a call. And of course, we ever invite you to our services here at the Free Presbyterian Church in Cloverdale uh, for those that are in the area. And we'll be giving you all the details on this at the end of the program today. The message from our pulpit is on the Apostle Paul, an appreciation for the man. 
sometimes we don't really fully appreciate the greatest characters and benefactors in our lives. We take those for granted. Parents, grandparents, our teachers, our guides in life. And we just think that they're the pillars that have always been there. And uh, we little think of the sacrifices and the molding that went into their lives to make them the guides they have been to us. We're going to look at Paul the Apostle and just see the marvelous man that God made him. And I put it that way because Paul gave the Lord the glory. And we want to realize that this was God's grace in him. So join with us now here as we turn to the pulpit of our Free Presbyterian Church in Cloverdale for an appreciation of the Apostle Paul. There are those times when a man is required that is larger than life. Such was Churchill in the throes and beginnings of Second World War. He could say that all that he was, all that he had gone through had made him for that hour. The assignment to spread the gospel to a whole known world, which really was the Roman world at that time, and to take the gospel not just to Jews but to Gentiles, was a plan that God was working on for thousands of years. He had been preparing the world for this hour. He had been preparing and using three particular civilizations. There was the Roman civilization, which provided the laws and the roads and the vast, complex, yet united Roman Empire that stretched from India to Northern Europe. It enabled men to travel and trade in vast territories and terrains which in no other period of time could have been possible. Then there was the Greek civilization, which Rome was now drinking into. They had conquered that civilization, but they were now drinking at the fountain of their learning. The sons of the Greek masters were being sent to be tutored at the feet of Greek teachers and philosophers. They were returning to the Senate, and they were returning to become the Roman leaders. And the Greek language was becoming the language of learning, the language of literature within the Roman Empire. The third civilization that God was preparing was the Jewish dispersion, because God had cast out of Judea his own people into the Roman Empire, so that in almost every part of it, in its major towns and cities, there were Jewish colonies. They had their synagogues. They had their distinct ways of life and religion. 
their monotheism, the worship of one God, which was in contrast to the civilizations of Rome and Greece, which worshiped many gods. These three things came together so that when the gospel would go to the Gentiles, God had prepared the world, but he needed a man. And so having sent his son to fulfill the work of the cross, to give us the very gospel to preach, he needed a man to preach it. Who would that man be? What would his qualifications be? Who would we choose and select for such a task? Well, the answer is obvious, and we know from the chapter we have read tonight that that choice of God's sovereign purpose was the outstanding character and figure, Paul the Apostle. Above all men, above all the other apostles combined, this one man was the choice vessel of the Lord to take the gospel to spread Christianity so that within decades it would be and permeate every corner of Roman civilization. So tonight, really, all I'm going to do, and I debated with myself, was this a good evening to commence this because it's still a holiday weekend and there may be people still on vacation and so on. But what I want to do this evening is just to drum up a little appreciation of the man. We are going to, Lord willing, in the weeks to come, get the magnifying glass out and look into a lot of details. What does it mean that Paul was a Pharisee? Was he ever married? Did he ever have a wife? What did he mean when it said that it is good for a man not to marry? What was his training and upbringing? There are many things that we need to look into. But firstly, we want to look with a broad sweep of some of the accomplishments that this man is a great example to us. Firstly, we should appreciate Paul the Apostle as a convert. There is no more dynamic conversion story anywhere in the Bible, as we have read tonight in this chapter. And I'm sure many preachers and evangelists have preached on this verse by verse and statement by statement and have preached gospel sermon after gospel sermon on the conversion of Paul the Apostle and made it to be a model of what it is for a man or woman to be converted. But why it is so exemplary is that until after his conversion, there was no instrument involved. There was no human evangelist. There was no Philip preaching to Paul. There was no gospel meeting. Rather, we find that there was this direct intercourse between this murderer on the road to Damascus and the Son of God shining in the glory of brightness greater than the noonday sun. And Paul himself he says that it was God's purpose, and he says this very humbly over in 1 Timothy 1.15, uh, that it was God's purpose that he would be an example or a pattern of conversion. 
And if you turn to 1 Timothy 1, 15, this is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation that Christ Jesus come into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. So he calls himself the very worst of sinners because he was a persecutor, something that troubled him for, for all time. He was guilty of the blood of the very people of God. Howbeit, 1 Timothy 16, 1, 16, Howbeit for this cause I obtained mercy, that in me first Jesus Christ might show forth all longsuffering, if anyone would doubt, can the Lord save me? Will the Lord have mercy on me? Just look at Paul of how God had mercy on that terrible, blood-thirsty murderer. And if you ever question, can God ever save a guilty man or woman or boy or girl, here is our example and model of the extent of the long-suffering of God for a pattern to them which should hereafter believe in him to everlasting life. Paul stands as a great testimony because the zeal of the man in his murderous endeavors as an enemy of the gospel was diametrically turned around and channeled to serve the gospel. The determination of the man, the the character of his personality was harnessed in the opposite direction to serve and preach as we read there in that final verse that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. That's the power of the gospel. And of course, this in one way to some degree or another is what happens when a man is converted. When we are brought from darkness to light, from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of God's dear Son, there is this dramatic conversion. One day we are serving Satan and sin. The next, as I say, to some degree, we are serving the living God. That's what it is to be conversion. Here's a pattern. And so we have an appreciation uh, for this man's conversion, or we ought to. Secondly, we need an appreciation for him as an author, an inspired author in the New Testament. He is the one that has given 14 books in the New Testament, if you include the book of Hebrews. Now, that amongst commentators and through church history has had a little question mark upon it, but I must say that as I go on in my Bible study, I am more and more convinced that Paul is the author of the book of Hebrews. And if so, there are then 14 books in the New Testament of which Paul is the author. And that's the majority, 27 in total. He has the author of 14. Plus, the vast majority of this book of Acts is about Paul, his conversion, and his missionary endeavors. If you were to erase every reference and every word penned by this man, we would have a very weakened, a much weakened New Testament. And indeed, we would wonder where to go at times to make a defense of the faith. We wouldn't have the book of Romans, and we wouldn't have the book of Galatians, which, of course, are those 
definitions of the gospel and defenses and doctrinal statements of the gospel of the Lord Jesus. Paul is undoubtedly the theologian of the New Testament, above all the other apostles. Paul was the man who stood Peter to the face and said, Peter, you're in error. And so he undoubtedly is one that we must admire as an author. Also, as a church planter. So we think of a man who, if any man's success can be measured by the not only his own personal convictions or by his oratory or by his writings, but by delivering the goods of going out into a pagan Roman world with its Greek influence and actually planting living churches with saints who are converted, who are willing to live and die for the gospel. All was in a few years, able to see that mighty miracle accomplished. No other church planter in the New Testament compares with the accomplishments of this man in his ability to go out, preach to the, to the uh, ignorant soul, introduce him to the gospel, first-generation Christians— and see them welded together and established into New Testament churches. That is no small feat. And to go from city to city in the Mediterranean world and doing so. And he was no dictator. He was a much-loved pastor. There is at the close in the 20th chapter of Acts a most... I use the word pathetic in its uh, sympathetic way, a scene of Paul leaving his congregation. He's going on to the ship. He's saying farewell, and the people come out. They embrace and fall upon his neck with tears. They fear that he's going to Jerusalem, and they may never see him again. His life's in danger. These people love this man. This is no tyrant, dictator, leader. This is a man with all the bowels and compassion of the grace of the gospel that he is able to convey to men of all walks of life the grace of the Lord Jesus. This is a man larger than life. This is a man that if you met him, you would sense that he has something from God that attracts the believer and draws you to follow in his footsteps and to willingly serve in his fellowship. This is Pastor Ian Golliher. Thank you for joining us on the program today. As we give thanks to the Lord this Thanksgiving season, I want to thank you for your faithful listening to this program and for those who have supported with their gifts. It's timely to consider supporting this program with a Thanksgiving gift. 
We are presently airing these programs on 10 stations right across Canada. Some are on Sunday mornings, and others are Monday to Friday. From time to time, we remind you as our listeners that if you are blessed through these programs, please consider helping us with the cost of airtime to get the gospel out to you and throughout much of Canada. You can check out our donation button on our church website, ltbs.ca. For all the information on how to donate by e-transfer, PayPal, or by mail-in check, go to ltbs.ca. The mailing address is LTBS 18790, 58th Avenue, Surrey, B.C., V3S 1M6. Thank you for your support, large or small. May the Lord bless you and keep you in His care, and above all, save souls through the gospel of His Son, as we preach it on these airwaves each week. For information or pastoral help, go to our website, ltbs.ca, or just give me a call at 604-897-2040. This is Pastor Ian Golliher. Have a blessed Thanksgiving week.